Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is Family Sunday, so Second Sunday is Family Sunday, and so it's great to have our students with us. I was talking to a family earlier that's just recently been attending. I'm like, we're good with noise. Clearly, we are good with the noise. So thank you for joining today. Uh, my name is Andy. I uh, have the privilege of being able to photobomb announcements whenever I want. So that was fun, and I uh, appreciated Brooke being so gracious as I, as I jumped in there. But we hope that you're able to participate in the community that is here and in the connections that are here. Our goals for everyone here on these banners that salvation is important to us and, and freedom is important to us and, and the redemption of your life is important. Those are important because these are actually promises that, that God made to Moses in Exodus chapter 6. He made them a long time ago. I believe he still wants to do those things. We're just trying to be a part of what God is doing. We're not putting something together. We don't have a team that gets together, creates something, and then asks God to bless it. What we're trying to do is identify what are the things you're doing, and we'd like to join those. And then to help us with color coding, <laughs> we look over here and match those as connection to Christ, connection to others, and connection to purpose. And the one word that is on every banner is connection. So we're glad you're here. And, uh, and we do want to get to know you and walk with you and journey with you. So thank you. Thank you to the, the team on the platform today. Thank you for leading us in worship. And thank you for the folks that prayed and the folks that did transitions today. I trust them and I appreciate how they bring us to a place of God connection. We're reading through the scripture. If you're just joining us, we're reading through the New Testament. We've been, we started in January and we read five chapters a week. And currently, we would be reading, this coming week, we'd be reading Titus. Titus 1, 2, and 3. It's a shorter book. Titus was like Timothy, a son in the gospel to, to Paul, but he was on the island of Crete. And very similarly to how Timothy was with Ephesus, Titus was with Crete. Paul was in prison and he wrote these letters, encouraging them. Titus 1, 2, and 3, and then Philemon, and then Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews is my favorite book, and frankly, I was super excited that we got one chapter of Hebrews this week, because then I could legitimately preach Hebrews this week, and next week, and a third week, and a fourth week, and over the 13 chapters, I could get four weeks out of Hebrews, and I had it in my mind, and I, was gonna, I knew what I was going to call it, and I had songs that Arnick and I could sing and do and prep and video in the beginning of it. And I was excited, and then Thursday happened, and God said, Philemon. So today I want to talk to you about the Barnabas side of the street. This side or that side? It's the, the Barnabas side of the street. When you consider what we call the book of Philemon, there's a backstory. A man shows up at a gate, a large and prosperous property, busy with commerce, buildings, 
a large family home, and a man shows up at a gate, knocks on the gate, and he stands and waits. The servants of the house hear that and come and come to the front, opening the gate to see who it is, to see who is there on business or personal, what the errand might be, what the need is. The servant goes and opens the gate, and as the gate is opened, the servant looks at the man who has just knocked, and he freezes. His mouth drops open. And the man at the gate says, I'm here to see Philemon. The servant says nothing but turns and awkwardly heads back toward the house. And wherever Philemon is in the house doing business, calls him. Doesn't even have the composure to tell him who's at the gate because he knows who it is. But he says, Philemon, someone is at the gate. And he didn't see, who is it? Just someone at the gate. A little bit odd, a little bit awkward, and Philemon makes his way through the house and out the front door and into the front yard and toward the front gate. And as he approaches the gate, it's open and he looks and he sees and he freezes himself. He pauses and he looks. And the man at the gate says, Hello, Philemon. And Philemon says, Hello, Onesimus. There's a pause. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to say. May I come in? Sure. And in this awkward moment, as Onesimus crosses the entryway into the yard, and these two men look at each other, square off and stare at each other, not knowing whether to hug each other, not knowing whether to throw a punch, not knowing whether to say something authoritarian, Master slavish, take a knee, a hug. Nobody knows exactly what to do. And then Onesimus says, I'm here with a letter from Paul. And Philemon, once again, taken back, <laughs> does not know how to handle that. Was not expecting Onesimus, the runaway slave, to ever return. And yet he's standing inside the gate. And especially not to hear him come back and say, I have a letter from Paul. He's shocked that Onesimus is at the gate. I'm pretty sure he's more shocked when Onesimus says, and I have a letter to you from Paul. You mean Paul in the jail in Rome? Paul? <laughs> that one? And he hands it to him. I don't know if Philemon said, wait here and went back into the house. I don't know if he was the kind of man that said, follow me, or if he took him by the arm and walked him in. I don't know. But at some point standing there, I'll read you the letter that Paul wrote in that moment as Onesimus says to you from Paul. 
you can throw that up there, thank you. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Ephia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. And he looks up into the face of his former slave. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people, wondering how did Onesimus connect with Paul. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Where is this going? It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. And what? He probably had to do... <laughs> my son, Onesimus. And in a split second, Philemon has to do business with the fact that Onesimus left him a thieving, stealing slave and returned with a document that identifies him now as a son of Paul, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. What? Think of the emotions. Think of the hits that just keep coming at Philemon. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. And perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back. Forever. The Barnabas side of the street. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. And that's the moment right there. That's the moment where you stand on this side or you stand on this side. And do you cross over or not? And he keeps reading. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord and refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. 
Prepare a room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. And Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you greetings, and, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. An email. A letter. Not a scroll and a scroll and a scroll. 25 verses. Asking a man to change the course of a life. Philemon was this solid person for Paul. And as I said earlier, Onesimus was the slave of Philemon. He stole from him. He ran away, history tells us. And somehow he found Christ and Paul, and we're not sure how. There are different documented accounts. We don't know if he found Christ, ran away. Onesimus ran from Philemon, and he found Christ, and then he found Paul. What a coincidence. Or maybe he recognized Paul because Paul and Philemon were fellow laborers. He'd been there. He was familiar with the church in their house. Maybe he said, I need to go find that guy who's got grace because I need some. Maybe he found Paul and then found Christ. I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. In my brief research, it's hard to pin it down. But what he said is Onesimus is useful. Onesimus is useful. In fact, his name means useful. What's interesting as we read through here, and you're, you're welcome, you won't now have to read on Thursday. Read the whole thing for you. The book, my favorite book is Hebrews. My favorite book in the Bible is Hebrews. Hebrews is a book written to the Hebrews, yes, right. Hebrews is a book written to the Hebrews. That's a lot of folks. A lot of folks. I think what I just read to you is the only book in this compilation of 66 books. I believe it's the only one that's written to a single man. The only book written to one single human being. What about Timothy we read last week? No, no, it's entitled Timothy, but it's Timothy to correct the Ephesians. It's a letter of correction to the Ephesians. What about Titus? I get it. It was written to Titus. But in the writing, Paul is saying, Titus is my man, and he's going to tell you guys this. You see, Timothy could be the, the second or third book of Ephesians. It was written to a people through someone. This one is written, I think, one human, one man, one person. No other letter like it in the scripture. The Barnabas side of the street. We've got three characters in this rising conflict so far. We've got Philemon the household owner, Onesimus, the runaway slave, and Paul, the apostle. 
Yet the title of this message is The Barnabas Side of the Street. You see, there's a significant backstory. And this is where my heart and my mind journeyed throughout this week. So I really just want to invite you into some of that journey that I took this week. As I read through the scriptures, I invite you to to hop in the truck with me and, and make that drive. Think about this with me. I'm going to throw some numbers at you. They're dates, they're years. But they're not going to be confusing. They're, they're simple. It's the middle of the first century. Jesus died in the, you know, around 30. 32, 28, 30, 32, somewhere in there. And now we're in the middle of the century. And so I just want to throw a few numbers at you just to help you with a little bit of a timeline. And that's what I was thinking about. When I read this book, I'm like, how are you working today? This isn't history for me. It's alive. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharp. It's discerning. It's a word of God that is alive to me. How does it help me be more like you? How does it give me guidance on how to actually live out freedom and redemption? How does it help me with that? So the first missionary journey that Paul takes, Paul takes it with Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas make this first missionary journey. And it happened, and then they always give you a few years. Nobody ever gets to say December 14th, 2014. It's never like that, right? It's always like, well, this first missionary journey was somewhere between 46 and 48. 1946, no, literally 46 and 48, right? It's the first century. We're within the first hundred years post-crucifixion birth of Jesus. So in 46-48, Paul and Barnabas take this missionary journey, but there was someone else with them. And his name was Mark. Mark was with Paul and Barnabas. And Mark was actually the nephew of Barnabas. Mark was the nephew, Uncle Barnaby. Old Uncle Barney. Barnabas was the nephew. Mark was the nephew of Barnabas. And so they go on this missionary journey. Does anybody know what happened in that? You got Paul. You got Barnabas. They're spreading the gospel. Paul's a little more than intense. And some reason we don't know whoever wrote the Bible could have given us some more details. We need more. We're we're inquiring minds. We want to know, right? Like, help us with this. But somewhere in there, and we don't know the reason, Mark leaves. Just leaves. Joe and I are doing ministry, and we're working. And his son is with us. Isaac is with us. And Isaac's helping and learning. He's bringing him along, helping him out. I'm like, okay, he can come along. Yeah. I'm all about mentoring. It's step eight. Leadership and mentoring is step eight on the path. Absolutely. Bring him along. And then somewhere in there, Hoss, and we don't know why, you just did like deuces. You're out. We look around and you're gone. Your tent is empty. Where'd he go? I'm like, where'd he go? He, I don't know. Nobody said, I don't know. But we do know he left. In the second missionary journey, so 46 to 48 is the first one couple years later they decided to do another one 
50 and 52, somewhere in there, and about 50, right in the middle of the century, 50, we get together and say, hey, man, what do you think about going back to some of these churches? And you're like, I think that's a good idea. Let me get Mark. To which I, I'm being Paul here, to which I say, uh, no. And then the conversation happens. Now, when I was Saul, and I was a new convert, this is the man that took me under his wing. Barnabas is the one. In fact, when you read the scripture in the book of Acts and you read it closely, it leads with the leader. It says Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. And then all of a sudden, it's Paul and Barnabas. All of a sudden, there's a shift in authority. You help me. Now you're wanting to help someone else. And I say, no. Not, no, he's not coming. Do you know how that went down? He said, oh, that's okay. Okay, well, if that's what, okay, well, if you don't want him to come, okay. <laughs> that's not how it went down. There was a sharp contention between Paul and Barnabas, so sharp that they split ways. And then you begin to hear, I think it's Acts 15, you begin to hear about Paul and Silas. You don't hear anything else about Barnabas. In fact, I don't think he's mentioned one more time in the scripture. My fact checker over here is nodding. Is that true? <laughs> Brian's like, yes, correct, theology, thank you. Yeah. So, you want him to come back? And I say, not happening. Nope. You see, in that first missionary journey, 46 to 48, he came with us, but then he left. And then we're going to go back and do a second missionary journey in 50, a couple years later, and you want him to come? I'm like, not happening, man. He is not coming. And we split. That's how contentious this is. That's how difficult it is to live on the Barnabas side of the street. The Barnabas side of the street. So that's 50-52. This letter that we read today happened in the late 50s. 57, 60. This letter where Paul says, I know Onesimus was a slave. I know he stole from you. I know he ran away. I know he left you. I get it. But would you even be a follower if it wasn't for me? Couldn't you have said the same thing? Would you even have a ministry, Paul, if it wasn't for me? There's some validity in that. Barnabas taking him under his wing. Like, there's some, there's some truth in that. Paul looks at Philemon. He's like, would you even have a ministry if it wasn't for me? I mean, I don't want to bring it up, but that's what he says. I want it to be your decision, but, you know, you do exist because I exist first. Interesting. He writes this letter saying, I know what Onesimus did to you. I know how he left you. But will you receive him again? And not just as a returned servant, but as a brother. As, as a brother in the body of Christ. And I think about that. And I wonder, what was it? What was it that caused the conversion of Paul from this guy, no, that guy, to writing a letter and giving it to him from a prison and saying, I know he'll do the right thing. 
He called restoration the right thing. Somehow Paul moved from this side of the street to the Barnabas side of the street. He moved to the Barnabas side of the street. He moved to the side of the street where there's reconciliation. He moved to the side of the street where there is grace. We read it a few weeks ago in Colossians 4. I mean, it says, you know, greetings from Mark. He said it here. Greetings from Mark. Mark somehow came back. And in the same year, Colossians 4 that's written, Barnabas is martyred, actually. He dies in 60. And just last week, we read 2 Timothy. I preached out of 2 Timothy last week. I preached out of 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we read through that. And it was last week in the sermon. He says, verse 11, Mark is profitable. Mark is helpful for me. Will you please bring him? Does anybody else in here thank God for conversion? I don't mean salvation. I mean conversion. I was saved in 72. Uh huh. When was your conversion? I thank God for conversion. I thank God when the religious get converted. I thank God for moments. When those of us that have it all figured out, some kind of light breaks into our heart and softens that heart. And we move from this place of distrust and mission all about me to a place where mission can be about you. And it matters. I don't know what happened. I don't know if something happened to Paul And then he wrote the letter, but you know what I think happened? However Onesimus found him, the runaway servant, however he found him, if he found Christ and then Paul or Paul and then Christ or whatever, but something happens. Let me give it to you in a very true 21st century way. The harshness that you feel toward other people, I just wish it was your niece. I wish it was your sister. Got a chance of feeling different. That person that we so easily vilify. That person that is nothing to us. They, they forsook us. I'm de- they're dead to me. I'm done with them. I had a leader years ago at a parachurch ministry in St. Louis. It was a national church planting ministry. And he struggled with depression. He was the leader of the whole thing. North America. Church planting. Metro cities. All over the place. And he struggled with depression. And he struggled with the kind of depression where the window shades go down and the covers are over your head and you're not eating for several days and you're not bathing and none of that's going down. And that was the leader. And he would travel and talk to people and minister and share with them. And he talked to a college auditorium one day and I was in the crowd. He asked me to join him. And I heard him say to everyone, he said, if you think this is fake, if you think this isn't real, and this is what he said, I hope you marry someone with depression what he said. I get it. I get it. When people struggle and they're close, Onesimus comes to Paul 
I don't know how he found him. I don't even know. I said that 52 times. Like, I don't know how that happened. But something happened where he received him. And that was enough to open a door in his soul that he could see something different. Paul was on the Barnabas side of the street for Onesimus. That's what changed his mind about Mark, I'm sure. Onesimus means useful, and Barnabas means son of consolation. Consolation. Consolation? Like, like consolation prize? Like participation trophy? Like that? <laughs> I began to think of participation trophy. And I began to think about how people have really strong opinions about participation trophies. I thought it might be as divisive as Republican and Democrat, maybe. Participation trophies. Ha. Huh. You get a trophy for playing? You get a trophy for showing up? You didn't win? Listen to my language. You didn't do anything worthy of a trophy? You didn't perform well enough so you don't, listen to my language, deserve it? Worthy, deserving. You want a trophy for what? I get it. I get it. I was an athlete. I was a college, uh, high school athlete. I got it. That's a valid economy. You don't win national championships with kids who got participation trophies. The question that came to me was, which kingdom am I living in? Which kingdom am I living in? Which kingdom is defining my values? Which kingdom is defining how I see people? Which kingdom is defining whether I walk with you or not? Whether I invite you close or I don't? Which kingdom? Are we striving for a trophy where moth and rust doth corrupt? Or do we live in a different economy? And you've got to ask yourself these questions. Are we enabling poor performance? Or are we celebrating that you made it? You completed. You exist. My thoughts went to 2 Timothy 4. We were just there last week. I thought of what we read in verse 7. Paul says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. Kept faith. We celebrate that, don't we? Man, to be like Paul, to be like Paul, fought a good fight. Finished my course, kept faith. Ryland, my dear friend. Handsome brother in the flannel shirt right here. ISU football player. I said, how'd it go yesterday? And he said to me, and I quote, fought a good fight. comma. <laughs> it was a close one. We gave him a fight, comma. But I said, dude, you're getting preached about today. <laughs> you made it. You made it to the big leagues today, brother. 
Have you ever thought of Paul saying that way? I fought a good fight. No, you read it like he won. He did. But that's also the language that we say when we lose. How'd the game go? Man, they gave it a, they gave it a good shot. After the game, they're all sweaty. They're holding their helmet in their hand. How'd it go? Man, I, it was a good game. I, team effort, like, love all the support. And things. We gave them a good fight. We fought a good fight. Fell a little short today, but we're going to get it back together. Fought a good fight. Fighting a good fight is enough. Fighting a good fight matters. I have fought a good fight. I finished. He finished first. Because I think that's what we project on people. And that is not the gospel. He finished. He finished. Hey, man. Hey, Christina. I heard you were running. How'd you do in that 5K? She said, I finished. Oh. Oh. <laughs> What'd you place? They, cop- they stopped counting. <laughs> Like, like, I don't know. That's why I prayed, right? I'm like, right. Has anybody ever done the rain ride? Anybody? Delhi has. Anybody else in here done the rain ride? Ride across Indiana. 150 plus miles across the state. This year it happened, and someone told me the time, and I walked out on Ohio Boulevard, my, right at the corner down from our house, and I saw the state police come through, and I saw people that looked like they were riding motorcycles, but they were riding bicycles. They were really going fast these little green blurs, man, flying by. And I stood out there for a half an hour, 45 minutes, and watched people come by. And when it was all over, I asked the guy where I, where I do my bike stuff, I asked him, I asked Jim, I said, how'd that all go? And he goes, yeah, Maria did it. I just was her trailer this year. I didn't bike. And he said, we, she gave me the time. And at the end, you know, and they're in Richmond. They went all the way across. They start, uh, where are we? They start over here in uh, Illinois line and go all the way across to Richmond. He said, we're coming back. We're miles from the Ohio border. Passing bikes, still heading that way. In the dark, with lights on the front. He said, they're taking down stuff, man. They're like flipping tables and putting things in. And here they come. Now, how many of you have done a ride across Indiana? What do you think of the person that finishes? Uh, pretty cool, I think. <laughs> Stuck it out. You hear me? Or hearing the Lord is really what I'm interested in. I fought a good fight. Came up a little short, but we fought a good fight. That matters, man. It matters in the kingdom as well. I finished my course. Can you name the person who was eighth in the 200 meters at the Olympics? Does anyone even care? I know somebody that cares. Who was eighth in the 200 meters at the Olympics? Because we just look at the first few. And they're the only ones that get interviewed. My question is this. Who cares about that eighth person in lane six? That they're already out of the water and someone is still like doing this. Who does? Their mama. That's right. But don't let that be lost on you. I'm not trying to be cute. Because they're close to them. 
Because that person is someone that matters to them. Mark was not someone that mattered to Paul in his mission. But Paul had it wrong. And something changed in him. And he invited Philemon to receive Onesimus. Something shifted. And then, because of that change here, you see, here's the deal. This is the the punchline. He didn't change. (laughs) As much as this one changed. Because if this one doesn't change, this heart doesn't change. And it doesn't matter, I'll never see you. All I will do is resent the fact that you left me. All Philemon will do is resent the fact that Onesimus stole from him. But when this changes, it all changes. One side of the street is justice. And the other side of the street is mercy. And mercy is mercy because you know they didn't measure up. Mercy is mercy because (laughs) you know they didn't make the cut. You know they wronged you or someone else. We're not being duped. We know that the person doesn't deserve it. But isn't that true of us as well? We know we don't deserve it. Sounds to me like what happened to the thief on the cross. (laughs) The thief on the cross. What did that guy have to give Jesus? Were we talking about that this week, me and you? Were we talking about that in the Tuesday thing? I was talking to somebody about that this week. The thief on the cross looks to Jesus and says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, yes. In fact, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Did that man have anything to give? Did he have a dandy track record? (laughs) Were you investing him? No, he was there because he deserved to be there. But Jesus was living on the Barnabas side of the street, you see. Where he said, you're open, I'm in, I'm with you, pal. Today you'll be with me, yes. It sounds like the gospel, it sounds like Jesus to me. And then I began to think this week, what about the second thief? What about the second thief? You know they were all hanging up there talking to each other. Clearly the scripture tells us that. And it wasn't like Jesus was on the far side and then thief and thief and he couldn't hear him. He was right in the middle. Do you know the first thing Jesus said on the cross? Anybody know? First thing recorded that he said was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Did you know that one of the gospel writers said both of the thieves railed on Jesus? Did you know that? It wasn't like bad thief, good thief. Both of the thieves slandered him and discredited him, and railed on him. Both of them did that. And then one of them heard him say, really heard. They both probably heard it. But one really heard him say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. And I wonder if some little light flickered in his heart. And he said, hey, hey, uh, would you, would you remember me? And then the other boy shoots back. What are you doing? That whole thing, back and forth. They heard it. They knew it. And once he says, today you'll be with me in paradise, if I'm the guy on the other cross, 
Brian, how hard-hearted do you have to be, man, to sit there and not say, excuse me, uh, I know you just accepted him. You got any room on the bus for me? You see, the first thing Jesus said was, Father, forgive them. Do you know the second thing? The second thing was, today you'll be with me in paradise. It wasn't like, Jesus said seven things from the cross. It wasn't like the old boy ran out of time. Literally, he heard that. And then Jesus talked about the other things and behold your mother and your son and all the other things. And this old boy is hanging up there thinking about that. I wonder if I was the thief on the cross. I'd like to think that Jesus would be recorded as saying eight things. <laughs> Somewhere in there he stuck in, oh, you, and you're welcome as well. You can be with me as well. This timeline, right? The first missionary journey, 46. Second missionary journey, I'm not taking. Mark, that was in 50. They split. And you've got this decade between 50 and 60. And in the late 50s, Paul comes across Onesimus. And it changes his heart toward everything else. This letter to Philemon, the latest it would have been written, would have been 62. The latest would have been 62. 2 Timothy 4, when Paul said, bring Mark, he's profitable for me, was in 64. Philemon happened before bring Mark, he's profitable for me. Something shifted in Paul. And I'm closing, I just want you to think about this. Mark wrote his first gospel. Mark wrote the first gospel. Did you know that? It's, it's difficult to know that because Matthew is the first one. But Mark wrote the gospel in AD 70. 70. There's, again, as always, there's a little bit of a play in there. But it's really the war with Rome and, and, and Jerusalem, that war. But basically, the temple is destroyed in AD 70, and so much scholarship says 70. Fifteen years later... Matthew, Luke did theirs, and 20 years later, John did his. But in 70, Mark writes his gospel. In 50, he says, you're no good to me, man. Get him out of here. So much so, I'm not bending an inch. And if it means we dissolve, then so be it. Don't let the door hit you in the rear end on the way out. Because I'm the boss now. That's 50. And in 57, Paul has an encounter that changes his life. And in 64, he says, come on, man, I need your help. You are useful to me. You are profitable to me. You are helpful to me. And then six years later, in AD 70, this is the man that writes the first gospel. 
There's a whole nother Sunday we could talk about the dynamics of rejection and someone saying, hey, you are enough. How that brings us back in. (laughs) Paul was on the Barnabas side of the street for Onesimus. And that changed the way he saw Mark. Probably changed the way he saw everybody. (laughs) My invitation for you today is to allow yourself to have grace. To allow yourself to be changed. Brian, come here, buddy. Would you please? I know Brian always says yes, so. Brian looks younger than me, but he is not. (laughs) That's all I wanted to say. This guy and I have some similar history, don't we? And then, you want to put your hand out? I'll put my hand out. See the differences? Because of these two things? We have, that's, that's, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not a secret. (laughs) We have, uh, we have different history. We have different experiences. Different story. I grew up period of my life, living with a relative who without question was the most racist human being I've ever met. And being distant from you, I can be fed by that narrative, and I don't have to have anything to do with you. And it is easy for me to hurt you, shoot you, file you, put you away. When I was in the Navy, we didn't do hand-to-hand. We fired missiles like this. 250 miles off the coast. We never saw the faces. We never heard the screams. We never saw it. We just hit a button. That's easy. But when we allow ourselves to get close to each other, as we have in the last several years with all the racial tension, we have allowed ourselves to talk and struggle. And you've helped me when I've tried to figure things out and struggle. People have pressured him. They're like, what is your pastor saying? You told me that. He said, we're praying, we're talking, we're thinking. When you're this close, it's a whole lot harder to say you don't mean anything to me. But we have to get that close. You can go. If you don't want to be close, (coughs) if you don't want to be close, you can go. So I'm going to close with this. Tina, come on up if you would. God can do a work in your heart, yes. Absolutely, I believe it 100,000%, yes. God can do a work in your heart, yes. And you're going to have to allow yourself to be close to people, not like you. You are going to have to allow yourself to be close to people, not like you. For the thing to work and soften. Most of us, when you pray for someone, it's because you love them. You pray for the people you love, but do you know what else happens? You begin to love the people you pray for. That is also true. Lord Jesus, I pray for us in this moment. That your great kindness and grace would allow us, wherever we are, to live on the Barnabas side of the street. 
to live on that side that has reconciliation in sight, that has hope in sight, that has love in sight, that sacrifices for individuals, that sacrifices for people, that sacrifices for the gospel. That says there is a day where we were distant, but today we are brother. Today we can be brother. We are brother and sister and family. As someone gave us that grace, as Barnabas gave that grace to Saul, help us give that grace to others. May your love and gospel truth extend through us, surround us, and grow us. And help us have your love. Your love. Let your love, your agapeo love, flow through us for your kingdom's sake. Amen. Can you stand up here for a minute? I want to acknowledge my friend, Mr. Smith, um, and thank you for your sensitivity to the spirit. You are such a gift to every single person in this room, to myself and my family. And something is happening in this community that I think I have heard the language, man, that was something, man, that was something. And I am grateful for the, the words that keep coming to me is the sensitivity that you have for the spirit. So I just want to acknowledge you and thank you for what you do for us. We love you. Um, what's coming up for me to talk about is my Barnabas moment that I didn't have that language even an hour ago, but Andy asked me to be up here today, and he said, I'm going to be talking about Hebrews, and I was like, okay, I'll read Hebrews, and um, again, I fully trust in his sensitivity to the spirit that we heard exactly what we needed to hear today about reconciliation and forgiveness and love and mercy, and my Barnabas moment happened because he told me he was going to read about Hebrews. He probably thought he was going to read about Hebrews so that I could have this experience. This is what I read. It's the very first thing. God long ago spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son... He created the universe. God has spoken to us through the Son, and through the Son, He created the universe. And I was like, "Well, oh, that was, that's, that's something. I don't, something's happening here. I'm not sure." And I, uh, I read it yesterday morning, and I just sat with it, and I sat with it, and I kept repeating it, and I went to a yoga class. I try to pray in all things, so I prayed before the yoga class. If I'm supposed to understand this better, please let it. Let it fall on me. And in the midst of my yoga class, I hear my mother's voice. And she says, I love you as big as the universe. And for those of you who know my story, uh, you may understand the heaviness of it, that my mom died of alcoholism. And my lack of forgiveness, my struggle to forgive her, I have a deep desire to forgive her. And I struggle with it so much. 
And my Barnabas moment came, this is how it works, right? God speaks to us through the son. I am obedient. I say, yes, Andy, I will serve. Read the thing I think he's going to preach about. Something jumps out at me. I'm like, mm, got to do business with that. Create space. Let it fall. Bring the clarity. And all of a sudden, in the midst of my warrior two, I am, it, thought, what falls on me is, I crave, the reason I struggle with forgiveness of my mother is because I crave her love so deeply. And it's gone. And she was not ever really fully available for the way that I needed it. But God is. Because it's through the sun that God created the universe. And it's, I believe her when she said, I love you as big as the universe. I believe what she said. My Lack of forgiveness isn't about her inability to love. My stepping into forgiveness and reconciliation and my Barnabas moment is recognition that she did the best that she could. She fought the good fight. And then my access to love comes from the son who created the whole universe that lives in me that I have access to at any time I need it. I'm so thankful for the way that God takes our stories and our struggles and our messiness and redeems it and turns it around and uses it for good. And all of those areas of offense and unforgiveness and lack of reconciliation, the things that we hold that we wish we could let go of and we just don't know how, it's okay. Fight the good fight. He speaks to us through he speaks to us right now through the sun. Whatever that looks like for you. So my invitation to all of us is that we immerse ourselves in the word this week. I would not have had that super powerful healing moment had I not responded to Andy's request with obedience and gotten in the word and then asked for God's help to reveal to me what was supposed to happen. We all have access to that right now in our lives, no matter where we come from. I want all of us to leave with that knowledge. So I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you for the mysterious and powerful ways that you work in our hearts, in our families, in our lives. We're humbled by your mercy and your love. I know that there are people in this room, families in this room, where things feel heavy and scary and uncertain. Speak life into every heart that has darkness and questions. Let us all have our Barnabas moments this week. We know that when we have these powerful conversations, that things will come up. The enemy will show up in full force to stop us. And in Jesus' name, we declare that every single person in this room is available to receive whatever it is that you have for them this week. All of the love and the forgiveness and the reconciliation, we are available. Let it fall on us. Thank you for this family. Thank you for this community. 
We are grateful to serve you, to be with each other. And the prompt that I feel right now is to declare that if anybody in this space needs help or support, that they may know that they have people who will walk with them and that they don't have to leave today feeling lonely or empty-handed, that they can ask for help today here in this room. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you. Amen.